Thank you guys so much. <laughs> wow. Well, I am so blessed to be here and so honored to be here and have been so warmly received in every way that I can think of. I mean, and that speaks to who you are as a congregation and to who your leaders are. Uh, Pastor Jim and Pastor Annette, it is so good to be here. I'm so honored to be here, and I'm very privileged. And, uh, you know, it's just been an amazing thing to meet specifically you, Pastor Jim. I haven't met Pastor Annette yet. Uh, she's been very busy. As you know, they moved. So... I know the headache of that. I just moved, you know, a few years ago, and so it's just a, it's a big undertaking. But And then Pastor Ralph, Pastor Tom, uh, Pastor Diane and Don, just the whole team here, Pastor James and his wife, the whole team here is absolutely fantastic, and I have really been blessed. Can you just give them a round of applause? Mm. So as Pastor Jim said, I was with Eagles Wings. I was born and raised in Philadelphia. Don't hold that against me, okay? I'm sure there's some Eagles fans in here, maybe. All right, we got a few. There's two or three. All right, sounds good. So I got a few Eagles fans. Craziest fans in the world, you know. We, we know that. We know that about ourselves. Absolutely crazy. Pastor Ralph let me know this is Giants territory. So all right, no, no problem, no problem. But uh, I, I was born and raised in Philadelphia, then I lived in Buffalo, New York with Bishop Robert Stearns, really was stationed all around the world, traveled all around the world with him and in missions and other ways uh, for about 10 years from 2001 and 2011. And then from 2011 until January of 2022, my wife and I were involved in various uh, ish, areas of leadership in Shekinah Church in Ann Arbor, Michigan with uh, Barbara Yoder. And uh, we're honored to serve there in various capacities, as he already mentioned. And now for the last year and a half, we have been back in the nations, back with our heart for missions. Uh, we just returned from India, and the reason I mention that is to point out what you guys are doing with these shoe boxes. It's amazing what you're doing with these shoe boxes. Uh, we did many things while we were in India recently. Visited leper colonies, uh, prayed for the lepers. You know, nobody wants to touch them. The Hindus believe they're bad luck, so they're totally ostracized. Many, many of them are missing limbs and digits and all of that. We're able to pray for them. We're able to pray for widows and, and uh, go and, you know, rescue people from trafficking. Did all kinds of things while we were there. But we were able to visit two orphan homes specifically. And this one orphan home that had 40 orphans in this orphan home said to us, and we had no idea they would say this to us when we went there, but they said, we would not have received anything for Christmas for the last many years if we didn't receive these shoe boxes. And so kudos to you. Hats off to you. You never know where your seeds are going around the world. You never know the impact you are having on a child's life by doing something small. Let's be honest. For us in America, it's very small to fill a shoebox or even to fill 10 shoeboxes. It's kind of nothing for us. And we've, we've been so blessed. We have so much affluence in this nation. But something small for you is something huge for somebody else. And so I bless that and I honor that. And uh, I just encourage you in that. And today I'm blessed and honored to be able to share with you, to continue and build upon what your pastor has already been releasing to you. I love to do that. I don't like to go into churches and I've traveled all around the world. I've been blessed to be in 42 nations around the world preaching and teaching the word of God over the last 23 years, I think it is. I'm in the 23rd year of ministry full time. And I don't like to go in and do my own thing. 
I don't like to go in and impose my own agenda. I like to go in and I like to assess what is happening in the body, where the body is at, and then add to and build up. Because I'm here today and gone tomorrow. These are with you every week, week in and week out. And I know that personally from pastoring for over 10 years. I know the sacrifice that they're making. And so it's my heart to build up what, what God is already doing in your midst. And so I want to talk to you today about walking in the Spirit. You've been in your Numa series, the Numa, the breath of God. So I want to talk to you about walking in the Spirit. And the first thing I want to share with you is consciousness of Him. Consciousness of Him. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit so desperately. And I want you to imagine, if you would today, if there was a dove, you know, many times the Holy Spirit is represented as a dove. If there was a dove that was sitting on my shoulder, how would I move how would I speak? How would I interact with you? How would I go up and down these stairs? How would I do that if there was a dove that was sitting on my shoulder? And I didn't want it to fly away. If I wanted it to fly away, I could just go like this and the thing would fly away immediately. You know, maybe it would take several hours for it to come back and land, you know. But if I didn't want this dove to go away, how would I steward that dove's presence upon my shoulder? I would have to be conscious of that dove with every move that I made, with every movement that I make, with every step that I took. And that is how God is calling us to be with Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is not an it. Many times I hear churches and they have good intentions and good hearts. I'm not criticizing. But they call Holy Spirit an it. When Holy Spirit is a he, it is the third person of the Godhead. Just as much God, it's not like he's junior God. He's just as much God as God the omnipotent Father, God the Son who shed his very blood for us, and now God the Spirit. Many of us are very intimately acquainted with Father. We're very intimately acquainted with Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, the one who saved our lives lives, but some of us were not as acquainted with Holy Spirit as perhaps we would like to be. When I got saved, I got saved in a dramatic way, got saved from a very destructive style of living, a very destructive path, which I won't take time to go into, but I had known of Father, I had known of Jesus most of my life, probably I knew Jesus the best, had had encounters in my childhood with Jesus before a few things happened and I kind of turned my heart into rebellion, but when I got saved, I met Holy Spirit, the person of Holy Spirit in a powerful way. And I became conscious of Him in a way that I had never been before. I went to bed conscious of Him. I woke up conscious of Him. And do you know that it is possible to be conscious of Holy Spirit every moment of your day? Every moment of your day, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're engaged in, you can be conscious of Holy Spirit all the time. You can imagine that dove walking with you everywhere you go, you know. And if you're running, if the dove is flying, then you're running with him. If the dove is still, then you're still. If the dove is fluttering, then you're fluttering with him. Whatever the dove is doing, that's what you're doing because every move you're making is conscious of the dove. The Bible says in Galatians 5 and verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let 
us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This word live is the word zeo. Zeo. Some places in the word that you will find this word used is in Matthew 4 and verse 4, where Jesus talked about, where Jesus really said to the enemy, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Another reference that you can write down is Matthew 9 and verse 18, when Jairus came and asked Jesus to put his hand on his daughter. He said, if you put your hand on her, she will zeo, she will live. Another one is Matthew 16 and verse 16. The son of the living God, living God, this same word, zeo. And a final one, Matthew 22 and verse 32, that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living, living, the same word, zeo. The tense of this same word Jesus used to describe himself when he described who he was to the people of Israel. He said that he was the resurrection and the life, that anyone that believed in him would have eternal life. That word resurrection, I love this word. It's one of my favorite words in the Greek. It's the word anastasis. We can all take the glass and throw it down and step on it, say, opa, be a Greek right now for a moment, right? Go like this and say anastasis, right? You can practice that with me. There you go. Very good. Anastasis, right? And it means to get up again. That's what anastasis means. Friends, let me tell you, Muhammad went in the grave and he never got up again. Buddha went in the grave and he never got up again. Krishna went in the grave and he never got up again. Confucius went in the grave and he never got up again. There was one who went in the grave and got up again and broke the power of death and hell forever, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is the anastasis. He is the resurrection. But the other word he used to describe himself was life. And that word is the word zoe, the breath of life. And it connects to the word pneuma. And pneuma means a wind or a spirit, like a breath. If you've got zoe in you, you can breathe like this and take a breath. Nothing that is living doesn't have breath in it. How many know what I'm saying? If something doesn't have breath in it, if it's not expanding and controlling, contracting, if it's not growing or moving, it doesn't have life in it. And we have the breath of God in us. Colossians 1 and 27 even exhorts us that Christ is in us, the hope of glory, the one that created the universe, the one that laid out the stars in the heavens, the one that stretched out the foundation of the earth, the one that put the sea apart from the land, caused animals to come forth, caused vegetation to come forth, took Adam and breathed into him and he became a a living being, that same spirit lives inside of you. The God of all the universe, the veil was torn from top to bottom. The, the, the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory, no longer exists behind the veil, but that Shekinah glory, the spark of creation itself, now lives inside of you. What a massive privilege, what a massive, amazing reality that we get to walk in as people of God. Oh, it's amazing. And so how did Adam himself come into being? As I said, God breathed into him. But the scripture says the second Adam, that was the first Adam. The first Adam, God formed him out of the dust of the earth and breathed into him the pneuma. In the Hebrew, the word would be ruach. Ruach HaKodesh is how they would say the breath of the Holy One or the Holy Spirit. But God breathed into him and he became a living being. But the Bible says the second Adam, Jesus Christ, was not just 
a living being with breath in his lungs, but he himself became a life-giving spirit. I like how the King James Version puts this, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 45. It says this, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul or became a living being. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit, a quickening spirit. What does another verse of the Bible say? If that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you, just put your hand on your belly, dwells inside of you, it would quicken your mortal body. So much is available to us that we do not access because we are simply not conscious of what is available to us. As I said, the veil is torn. The priest, the high priest, they used to tie a rope to the high priest because if he went into the holy of holies and there was sin in his life and he was found unworthy at that time and he went into the holy of holies and was stricken dead, the only way that they could get him out of the holy of holies was to pull his body out by that rope that was tied to him. But that's not the age that we're living in. Don't you realize the privilege of the age that we are living in? It's actually referred to theologically as dispensation, right? So dispensation, it's how God reacts or how God interacts with humanity. So we have the dispensation of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then we have the dispensation of the law. That's how God interacted with humanity. Then the dispensation of prophets, judges, kings, right? And we get all the way up until Jesus Christ. And now for the last 2,000 years since the appearing of Jesus Christ, who the Bible says came just at the right time, the Kairos moment, like we were talking about this weekend, it said that just at the right time he appeared. And now we are under the dispensation of grace. And grace is available to all people. And now we can have confidence to enter the Holy of Holies behind the veil because of the blood of Jesus Christ. What an amazing privilege and how much is available to us. Friends, we need Holy Spirit. We need Him so desperately. We need Him more than we need entertainment. We need Him more than we need money. We need Him more than even the food that we eat. We need Holy Spirit in this nation. We need Holy Spirit in our families. We need Holy Spirit in our marriages. We need Holy Spirit in our communities, in our schools, in our politics, in our policies. We need the Holy Ghost. And without the Holy Ghost, we don't have a prayer, you know, because God is the only thing that can turn this nation around from the trajectory that it is currently headed down. And I'm not a doom and gloom guy. I believe our best days are yet ahead of us, but I also am aware of the Isaiah 60 paradox and the Matthew 24 paradox that describes that in the day of the Lord, it would be a great day. It would be a glorious day. We're going to be arising and shining for our light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon us, but we also have to be aware of the gross darkness that is sitting on the people. So we're living in a day of great dichotomy, and in that dichotomy, the only thing that can arise with us is the glory of the Lord to turn this nation back around. See, we really cannot do anything on our own. Even Jesus self, I can't even produce anything without abiding in the Father. The Father in me and I in the Father. And then he said that we're the branches and he's the vine and we can't produce fruit apart from the vine. We can do nothing of ourselves. We can do nothing in the flesh. The arm of flesh will fail you. There is not one scripture in Bible in the Bible that commands us to put trust in man. Not even one scripture. If you can find it, you're reading a different Bible than I've been reading. 
But there's scriptures all over the Bible that say, put your trust in the Lord, in the Lord. So that's where our trust is. Reinhard Bunke, one of the greatest evangelists of this past generation, preached to over 18 million people in his lifetime. His largest crusade was 3.6 million people that gathered at one time. You couldn't even count all those people, but that would take you several years to count all those people. So if anybody could maybe boast about something that he, he had done, it might be Reinhard Bunke. Wouldn't you agree with me? I mean, that's amazing. Saved millions of people from the fires of hell, populated heaven by tens of millions of people. And he said this, he said this, in truth, I have done nothing alone. Nothing alone. God has called me, and he has been my pilot. The Holy Spirit has been my comforter, my guide, and my power source. That's what Reinhard Bunke said. One of the men who saw the most amazing miracle, saw a man not just dead, but embalmed. Dead and embalmed be risen from the dead. That's verified historically, medically proven that he saw that. But he said, I can't do anything alone. It's the glory of God. Friends, are we aware of our need for Holy Spirit? Are we aware? Are we living in pride? Pride that says, I'm my intellect, my own strength, my own planning, my own strategy can do it. Or are we living in dependence of Holy Spirit? Living in dependence of Holy Spirit doesn't mean living passively and irresponsibly, but it means acknowledging His Lordship in a new way in our lives to say, God, I need you in every moment. God, I need you in every minute. God, I need you in every second and every millisecond. I don't want to go a millisecond without your presence, God. And the amazing thing is we don't have to. Can you say amen? The second thing I want to share with you is moving in Him. So number one is conscious of Him. Number two is moving in Him. As I said before, if something is not moving, it is not alive. Even if it's under the surface and not visible to the eye, something is happening, something is moving if there is life in that thing. Think of water. Water that is flowing is alive. It's healthy. It's not diseased. Water that is not flowing, think of a pond that is still, right? What builds up on, a, on the top of a pond that is still, that has no flowing water or no mechanism that, that circulates that water? You got all kinds of algae, all kinds of bacteria. It can turn into disease, all kinds of dirtiness and filth because the water is not flowing. It's not healthy. It's stagnant. Jesus said in John 7 and 38 that out of your belly would flow rivers of living water. He stood up on the feast, the greatest day of the feast where historically and contextually they would come and they would sing songs about living water. Mayim is the, is the word in the Hebrew. And they have a dance. They still do it today actually in, in Jerusalem. They still do the Mayim dance. And this Mayim dance, Mayim means water, is all about celebrating the living waters. So in the midst of this dance, in the midst of this celebration, in the midst of this great feast of the Jews, Jesus, a Jew, stands up and he says, all who are thirsty, come to me and drink. He says, you've been singing about, you've been looking for living water for millennia, for years and years and years. Now I, the living water itself, am in your midst. Do you not perceive it? You can come, you can drink, and out of your belly, those that believe in me would flow rivers of living water. John 4 and verse 7 talks about the Samaritan woman at the well with Jesus. It says this, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said, will you give me a drink? 
Verse 8, this is John 4, 7 and 8, and I'm going to read through verse 14. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He says, really, the wise thing to do in response to my question would have been to ask me for a drink, and I would have given you water, living water. Verse uh, 12, or, or 11, sir, the woman and said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Verse 13, Jesus answered, anyone who drinks this water again will, will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Think of a babbling brook. Think of a flowing river. Think of the beautiful ocean you have not too far from here that the tide comes in and goes out. You know, the tide is the maid of the oceans. It cleans the oceans. It pulls trash into the middle, you know, into the depths and recycles all kinds of things and, and is connected to all kinds of life for the ocean. But that's because it's moving. What if the ocean stopped moving? What would happen to marine life? What would happen to the tides? What would happen to all kinds of things if the ocean stopped moving, if it stopped living. Jesus said, this is the type of water that I have put inside of you. And friends, we can't just be conscious of God. We've got to move with God. We've got to do something. We've got to say something. I'm not talking about being performance people or performance oriented or only placing value on performance, but I'm also not talking about a Christianity that is passive and that just believes intellectually, but there's no gravitas, there's no fruit, there's no power of God available or power of God moving out of the Christian's life. I don't want to live a Christianity that is intellectual alone and knows about God and reads stories about God in the Bible. I want to experience it for myself in my day and in my time. I want to see the power of God come and hit this generation, a generation with no fear of God before their eyes, a generation with no history of God, a generation that mocks Christianity and thinks it's just some old wives tale or fairy tale. The power of God can come and touch this generation. The power of God can come and turn this nation around and the power of God can smack them and change their life forever just like it did for me. So I was on a rebellious path and the power of God came and took me. I felt like somebody took me and threw me on the ground. And all the person who ministered to me did was just touch my head as light as a feather. But it felt like somebody took me and threw me on the ground. I needed that. I needed that kind of encounter to, to break my pride, to break my will, to break my soul, to realize that this God that I've been hearing about my entire life, he's real. He's real. Are we moving with God? I remember when God started to ask me to move with him in a different way. And my wife and I had just gotten married 13, 14 years ago now. We'd just gotten married. We were in Africa. And uh, the person who was organizing this trip and taking us around the different places to preach and minister said, okay, it's Sunday morning. I'm going to take your colleague over here, and you guys are going to go over there. We're going to maximize our efforts by not being in the same place. So he said, okay. We had no idea what to expect. We had no idea what would happen. So all of a sudden, we're there. We're waiting for this person, you know, who we don't even know. We've never even seen before. We don't know the color of the car. We don't have a phone number. We have nothing, right? We have nothing. We're just trusting the Lord, and we're trusting our host who said, someone 
someone will come and pick you up, and when they tell you to get in the car, get in the car. We said, uh, okay, <laughs> all right, that's not how we do it in Philly, but okay, here, I guess that's, you know, all right. Okay, right. So we're waiting, we're waiting. This guy comes up, he smiles, he's really nice. He doesn't speak a word of English. He opens the car door and points like this, like, like keep looking back at us and smiling, like, and then pointing, like, get in. But he didn't know how to say get in. And I, I said, okay, should we get in? He goes, yeah, 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 get in, get in, you know? So we get in, we're driving down the highway, furiously, feverishly driving down the highway. And then we turn off the highway onto a dirt road. And I'm thinking, okay, not so bad, a dirt road, whatever, you know? And then we turn off the dirt road, just randomly in the midst of the dirt road, not at some juncture, not at some logical place, randomly in the dirt road, we turn off the dirt road very suddenly. And so we're dodging rocks, we're dodging cows, I'm not making this up, we're, I'm not trying to make it more, you know, cool for your ears. We're literally dodging boulders, we're dodging cows, we're dodging chickens, we're dodging all of these things, kind of zigzagging along this road. And we see in the distance this building and this hut, and which must be the church and the parsonage, right, of, the, of this leader. So we get there. We get to the church. Nobody speaks English except for one person. It's the one and only time I've spoken through two translators to an audience. So I'm sitting there. I'm saying the Lord loves you. Then they're saying it in a certain language I don't know. And then they're translating from that language into the language of the people. So it's da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
pace, walk in cadence, keep in step. I'm a drummer, I'm a musician. And uh, when I was learning certain rhythms and certain higher levels of, of drumming, I had to play to a click track, just like this, this thing. And it would be different speeds, sometimes slower, sometimes faster, right? But everything that I was doing, I was doing basic things and complicated things to this click track. And I had to play with this click track. I hated the click track. I despised it. It bored its way into my brain. Like it was literally writing neurological pathways on my brain as it just clicked, you know. I would go to bed hearing the click track. I would wake up hearing the click track. I would dream about the click track. Like there are times I would dream about trains, you know, clink, 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 clink down the, down the line. And I wake up and I'd think, oh, that was the, the click track, you know, and it's like the click track becomes your worst nightmare, right? But it's also your best friend because it keeps you where you're supposed to be. And you know you've mastered tempo and meter, that the phrase would be meter musically. You know you've mastered your tempo when you can put headphones on with a click track and play simple and complicated things, basic rudiments all the way up to Latin jazz, and you can play all of it, all of it, with this click track and then take your headphones off, keep playing, for five or six or seven minutes, whatever, and then put your headphones back on and you're still on the click track. That's how you know you've mastered the click track, right? So it was my nightmare, but it was also my best friend because it got me in order in my playing. It got me in stride in my playing. If I had not had that training, I would not have the skill that I have, which this is 20 years ago, but I wouldn't have the skill that I have today if I had not disciplined myself to that. So that's what this is talking about. If we want to live by the Spirit, we've got to keep in step with the Spirit. And the thing I love about God is He is a God of discipline, but in His discipline, in His order, in His structure, it is wonderful. It is wonderful to be led by God. Jesus said, take my yoke upon me and learn from me. People say, oh, you know, that's just Jesus' peace. It's His comfort. It's His meekness. It's humility. Yeah, it's all of that, but it's also a yoke. It is a yoke. And what was a yoke? A yoke was structure. A yoke was discipline. A yoke kept you connected to your work. If you were an ox or a mule or a donkey or whatever you were, a yoke was necessary to keep you on point, plowing the field, you know, grinding the grain, whatever it was. Jesus said, take my yoke upon me. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and take my yoke upon me, for I am lowly and meek, and I am humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We find rest rest for our souls in the discipline of God. We don't find rest for our souls apart from the discipline of God. When we try to live apart from the discipline of God, we live apart from the safety of God. We don't want to live apart from the safety of God. It's like the traffic laws, right? I was just in India. I'll say it again. The traffic laws, oh my goodness. It's like they didn't exist, right? Everybody was zigging and zagging in and out of each other. You know, you're driving on the wrong side of the road. You're swerving at the last minute as some truck is coming head on towards you. Most scary at night because all you see are these lights, these bright lights coming near you. There is no real order, right? But, but in uh, most nations, there's order of the road. There's order for those things. And why are those things there? It's for our benefit. And so God says, walk in my spirit, but you don't walk in my spirit passively. You don't walk in my spirit without any discipline. You don't walk in my spirit without any activity. You don't walk in my spirit just in la-la land and an emotional land. You walk in my spirit with grace, mercy, 
humility, love, but in discipline. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And this is an important point because God calls us to this life with Him. An amazing adventure, an amazing life of freedom, but also life of discipline in the Spirit. The cadence of the Spirit. How many want to walk according to that cadence? I'm telling you, soldier, I want to get in line. I want to get in line. I don't have any time to waste in this life. You only have one life, one life to live, one brief moment upon the earth that the Bible says is like a vapor. It's like a breath. It's here today and like the grass of the field, it's gone tomorrow. You have one life to live. Live it to the fullness that you can live it. Live your purpose. Live every day with purpose. Get up in the morning, conscious of Holy Spirit, moving with Holy Spirit, and say, Holy Spirit, what are we doing today? What are we doing today? And you can do that. You can live that life. It's not just for a select few people. Okay, which leads me to my next point, which is manifesting Him. So we are conscious of Him. We are moving in Him. And then number three, we are manifesting Him. Romans 8 and verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Sons of God. Now this word son is the word huios. Huios in the Greek, and it means a son or a descendant, but it means this, properly a son by birth or adoption, and I love that. I love that. By birth or adoption. There's only one son who is by birth, and that's the son of God. The rest of us, we are adopted. We are adopted. We were once objects of wrath. That's what the Bible says. We were once objects of wrath, but now we're vessels of mercy. And I love the, the intimacy that those two words define and delineate. An object, there's no intimacy with an object, right? That's just an object. I could care less about that object. That object is simply utilitarian to me. It serves a purpose and that's it. But then a vessel, a vessel is something completely different. A vessel is something that I care about. A vessel is something that holds something that is precious to me. Maybe oil or something else like that. But we were once objects of wrath, but now we are vessels of mercy, adopted, adopted, delivered, the word says, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love, into the kingdom of light. It's amazing. Behold, what manner of a love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So huios, it means a son by birth or adoption, anyone sharing the same nature as their father. In the baptism of Jesus, we see sonship so powerfully demonstrated. And I shared this in our Kairos conference, but I'm going to share it for the edification of those many faces of those that I did not see during that conference. Matthew 3 and verse 16. Matthew 3 and verse 16. It says this, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. Now, this is the perfect example of the baptism of water, the baptism of spirit, and the baptism of fire. And people say, where's fire? Fire is in the tempting of Jesus. He straightway went from the baptism of water and the baptism of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The word baptism of fire, the word in the Greek is poor, and it does mean the Greek understanding of the eternal flame, the flame of God, but it also means trials, testings, and challenges. How many have ever been at the altar? This will mess with your head, right? How many have ever been at the altar and you have your hands raised, God, I want your fire. Give me your fire, God. Baptize me with fire. And he will. He will, right? 
but it may not feel or look exactly like you think it's going to feel or look. And so we see the baptism of water, spirit, and fire demonstrated in the life of Jesus in this passage. So uh, it says, as soon as he was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son. Now listen to this phrase very carefully. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now the same declaration happens again in the transfiguration of Jesus in Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 1. It says this, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured. The word in the Greek is metamorpho. Metamorpho. That's where we get our word metamorphosis. A caterpillar crawls into a, a cocoon, and there is a, there's something that happens called metamorphosis. And then the caterpillar emerges from that cocoon as a butterfly. So that's the implication here when it says he was transfigured. He was metamorpho. He was transfigured before their eyes. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Why Moses and Elijah? Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. And Jesus was the perfect summation of the law and the prophets in himself, in his, in his own self. Verse 4, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Don't you love Peter? <laughs> Lord, it's good that we're here. You know, like Moses is here, Elijah's here, you're being transfigured and metamorphosized before our eyes. Your face is shining like the sun, your clothes are white like light. It's good we're here, God. You know, you think? You think, Peter? I love Peter. That's why I love Peter, because I'm Peter, right? I am Peter. I'm the one that gets out of the boat because I love Jesus and then starts to sink. But you know, we criticize Peter for starting to sink, but he was the only one that got out of the boat. I'd rather be the one that sinks than the one that stays in the boat. Peter's the only one in history that I'm aware of that has ever actually walked on water. We take it away from him because we say, oh, he was just crazy. You know, Jesus called him Satan. Jesus did this. Jesus did. He denied the Lord. But Peter was the one that Jesus said, you're my rock and I'll build my church on you. So I, I love Peter. I am Peter. All right. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. And that's what we do. That's what we do, don't we, friends? We take the glory of God and we try to package it. We try to control it. We try to say, you know, you stay here. I'm going to build a shelter for the glory of God and tell the glory of God where to stay. And that's what we do, don't we? You know, we're very comfortable with visitation. But what about habitation? What about habitation? Visitation, things happen. People get healed. There's all kinds of manifestations of the Spirit, which we'll talk about a little bit more as we go on here. But habitation is something different. Habitation is when revival comes. Habitation is when nobody even lays hands on you and you fall over under the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you believe that that's unbiblical, read your Bible. Read your Bible and see every time the glory of the Lord showed up, people fell down. When angels showed up, people fell down. When the glory of the Lord came in the temple of Solomon, it said that the priests could not stand before the Lord and before the glory of God. So when the glory of God comes, it's a very biblical, very natural, very normal thing for this weak human flesh to fall prostrate before the Lord and to reverence his glory and his fear. Does that help maybe some of you? When I used to see that stuff, I thought, this is nuts. What the heck is this? This is crazy. Saw people praying in tongues. Like, I grew up a Mennonite. 
and then rebelled against God and then got saved by a charismatic of charismatics of charismatics, a charismaniac, right? And I love her. She, but, right? And so it was a whole new world to me, right? A dazzling place I never knew, right? I'm a father of three girls, okay? You know, the Disney, Disney movies permeate our home, like, like I go to bed with them and wake up with them and the girls are singing them. I can't, I can't tell you how many times they played Let It Go when it first came out and I was just wanting them to let it go. I was just wanting them. Can you please let it go, you know? But they couldn't let it go and so therefore I couldn't, you know, let it go. But it says this, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, the same phrase, this is my son whom I love, with him, with him I am well pleased, listen to him. Now let me say this for the edification of those who are not there yesterday, in Jewish culture, when a man, a huios, it wouldn't be that word in the Hebrew, but when a man came of age and came of maturity and the father trusted this son and this was the father's heir, this was the inheritor of the family, he would take the son before the gates of the city, which was where every legal transaction took place. Some of the things they would do is actually they would trade sandals and they would do, you know, they would give people in marriage. You know, my friend Ryan Delling and I have, you know, he has a son and I have a daughter around the same age and I took my sandal off when, when Asher was born. I said, here's my sandal. Give me your sandal. We're making this done right now, you know. But they would do all these legal transactions there before the gate. And he would take his son and he would put him there and he would say to the entire community of people in a legal way, this had legal weight and bearing. It's like an official document signed by a notary or stamped by a notary in our context. He would say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And from that moment forward, the son, without the permission of the father, because the father wouldn't do this if he didn't trust the son. So the son no longer had to say, hey, dad, you know, what do you think about this and that and the other thing? You know, what do you, can we do this? Can we sell this? Can we buy this? Can we whatever? He was able to do whatever he felt was best for the family because it was as he was the father in that moment. And that is the affirmation the Father gave to the Lord Jesus, both in Matthew 3 and Matthew 17. And that is the inheritance that is there for you as a child of God. You are an inheritor in the kingdom. You may not have an inheritance naturally from your parents or your grandparents in this life. You might not have a windfall of millions of dollars that they stored up over their lives. You may have nothing, actually. You might not get anything, but your inheritance in the kingdom, that what that is, it, and this, anything in this world pales in comparison to the inheritance that is yours as a son of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And I say son of God through faith in Christ Jesus for the men and the women. And because the men and the women, we are the bride of Christ. Right? It's not a gender thing. I'm not, I'm not, you know, preaching some weird agenda. I'm not confused about gender identity. God uniquely made male, male, and female, female. But in the kingdom, there's no Jew or Greek, slave nor free, male or female. We are all one in Christ. And so you have not the gender. You have the position of authority of an heir as a son. And you have the position of favor as the bride with the Lord. He hears your voice. He listens to you like a husband does to the bride that he loves. You are not an orphan. You are an heir. You are no longer on the outside 
looking in. You are no longer kept away from these heavenly treasures and these heavenly riches. If you feel that way, come out of agreement with that lie right now. You are not on the outside looking in. See, friends, we have equal value in the kingdom. You say, well, how does that make sense? You know, I don't do what pastor does. I don't have a microphone. I don't do any of that stuff. I didn't say equal function. Equal function is not in the kingdom. We have different function in the kingdom. That's kingdom. But we have equal value in the kingdom. My function is not your function. Your function is not my function. But we have equal value in the kingdom of God. Which is why, you see that save? That was like the save of all saves. You know why? Because I watched the Phillies growing up. And I know how to... (laughs) Somebody's like, I'm going to catch you in the parking lot afterwards. You a Phillies fan, huh? I'll show you. We have equal value in the kingdom. And so as a child of God, as an heir, you will manifest the fruit of the Spirit. If you have a true conversion experience. So I said this in the first service as well. Jesus never said pray a prayer and fill out a a card that we can send into denominational headquarters and show them how our numbers are growing. Jesus never called us to that, even though there's nothing inherently wrong with that. We are called to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but that's not what Jesus said in the Word of God. Jesus said, come and follow me. Come and follow me, which was a rabbinical phrase, which I don't even have time to get into. But it was a come and follow me. Come and follow me into this lifestyle. Not this declaration, although the declaration is important. I'm not downing the declaration. But it's not a declaration alone. People confess Jesus with their lips and then deny him by their lifestyle. That's not Christianity. That's not what Jesus came and shed his blood for and died on the cross in a brutal way. The most brutal way you could have died in history is when Jesus came. Jesus could have come now. And he could have gotten lethal injection. He could have taken a bullet to the head. They could have killed him in some other modern way. But they killed him in the most brutal way at one of the most brutal times in history. He did that for you and me. And he did that for you and me not so that we could live a facade of a lie. He did that for you and me so that the truth and the proof of Christianity, the power of God, not words alone, but the power of God could be moving and flowing in and through our lives. That's what he came to give his life for. Can we say amen? So if you have a true conversion experience, you will manifest love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and the hard ones, self-control. Self-control, self-governance of your mouth, of your actions, of your emotions, of your feelings. Okay? You will manifest that. That is a promise from Scripture. If you are a true convert, if you are a true disciple of Jesus Christ, you will be manifesting the fruits of the Spirit. That's not to say we're not all at different places and we don't need help and discipleship and healing. Some of you, you get angry and you don't even know why you're angry. It moves not into only anger, but it moves into rage. There's a rage that comes out of you and you don't even know why. But there's something that happened, some trauma that happened in your life that you need healing for. Healing for. That doesn't make you not a sincere disciple. So don't misunderstand me. 
Some of you, you struggle with lust. You struggle with different things. You feel like you can't get free of it. You can't get rid of it. But there's a root because of something that happened in your childhood, a trauma that happened in your childhood. That doesn't make you less of a sincere disciple. Some of you struggle with smoking cigarettes, right? Cigarettes aren't going to send you to hell, but they sure as heck are going to send you to heaven faster. And the Bible says, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both, right? I will not be mastered by anything. And so addiction, that's part of the reason addiction is not uh, to belong in the life of the believer because addiction becomes your master. You have to have that cigarette. You have to have it. You have to have it, right? And that is not godly. That's something else, being the Lord of your life, being the master of your body, being the master even of the chemical balance of you, right? But you might be struggling with that. That doesn't make you less of a sincere disciple if you're struggling with that. I have no problem with struggling, right? If your heart is pointed in the direction of freedom, if your heart is pointed in the direction of healing, if your heart is pointed in the direction of submission to the Lord, I do have a problem with, and I believe God has a problem with, unrepented sin that we have no fear of God in our lives about. We just believe it doesn't matter. Who cares? You know, nobody's perfect, so why should I be perfect? Why would you live that life? Why would you live that life? Is that what Jesus came to give his blood for? No, he came to give his blood for you that you would be free. Not that you would tolerate the demons that he conquered on the cross as a blood-bought son or daughter of Jesus Christ. See what I'm saying, right? And so I want to make sure I'm, I'm clear about this, that you will be manifesting these fruits if you are a true believer, not a believer that struggles with things because many of us, if not all of us, struggle with things. But what is the direction of your heart? Is the direction of your heart, God, I'm so sorry. I see this weakness in my life. Would you help me with this weakness in my life? Would you make me free of this weakness in my life? Or is the direction of your heart, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. See, that's dis disavowing God by the lifestyle that you're living. How many know what I'm saying? We need to preach holiness again. There's nothing wrong with the gospel. The gospel ain't broken, and holiness is not broken. We need holiness again in the body of Christ. We've had a whole lot of teaching and preaching on grace that is not grace at all. Grace doesn't, doesn't dismiss your sin. Grace empowers you not to sin. If grace is not empowering you not to sin, it isn't grace, the grace of God. So... The fruit of the Spirit. Number two, the purity of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. So I say, walk by the Spirit. Remember, keep in step. Keep in cadence with the Spirit. Keep in the cadence of the rhythm of heaven. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What is the law? The law was the witness in the earth of what was right and what was wrong. And the law became a heavy burden that nobody could live up to. But in the spirit, we don't need to fulfill the desire of the law or the requirement of the law. In the spirit, we fulfill the requirement of grace. Grace is the word charis. It's where we get our word charismatic or charisma. That's from the root word for grace. It's also the same word that you'll see in English in your Bible. Grace will be in English in your Bible and also favor will be in English in your Bible. They're the same word in the Greek. It's charis. 
Ghost. And it means the enabling power of God, the enabling grace of God to cause you to live a righteous life, a righteous life empowered by Holy Spirit empowered. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not meat or drink. If you know it, say it with me, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen. And number three, you will manifest the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit. This means the power gifts will begin to manifest in your life. And let me tell you, the power gifts are not for a select few. The power gifts are not for somebody with a microphone. The power gifts are for you. They are for your life. Healing is for your life. Come on, do we believe the whole gospel? Talk to me if you believe the whole gospel. The power gifts are for your life. Healing is for you. Casting out demons is for you. Deliverance is for you. You know, cleansing lepers is for you. Raising the dead is for you. It is all for you as a true believer of Jesus. And these things will begin to manifest through your life. Sometimes we read about these things. We read about the stories in the Bible. We hear different people talk about these things, and we believe that's not for me. I'm not one of those special people. That's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. God is no respecter of persons. He is no respecter of age. He is no respecter of race. He is no respecter of gender. He is no respecter of where you come from or what you have done in your past before you know him. He is no respecter of persons whatsoever. He is only looking for a yes from his people. Do you realize how powerful your yes is before the Lord? Your yes is literally the dynamite that sets your spirit ablaze. Your yes is what God is looking for. He's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for mature sons who would say yes to him in the spirit. <laughs> Hallelujah. A few short stories to build your faith, and then I'm going to close and invite you for an experience with God at this altar. Not an experience with me. Not an experience. How many? I have laid hands on, I'm not joking, tens of thousands of people around the world. I laid hands on everybody in a conference of 5,000 people in Russia in January. I did it twice. So I laid hands on 10,000 Russians, and it was like Holy Ghost whack-a-mole. They were, they were, you know, putting them through the line, these ushers that were like 2.4 meters in, in feet is almost seven feet tall. These guys were huge, and they were putting these people through the line so fast I had to go like this, like... Bless you, 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 bless you. I just stopped saying bless you after a while, and I just tried to keep up with laying hands on it. I'm not joking. You would have, you would have laughed so hard if you had seen me. Holy Ghost whack-a-mole. I'm serious. Just get him, God. Get him, God. Get him, God. Get him, God. You know. So I've laid hands on people all over the world all the time, but the thing that I have seen that is the most powerful is not when I lay my hands on you. And there is a place for that and there's a point for that. But the thing I have seen that is the most powerful is when you encounter the living God at this altar. Because I'm a child just like you. I'm a servant just like you. And so I want to invite us to receive a fresh wind, a fresh pneuma, a fresh infilling as the worship team maybe even comes now if that would be okay, Pastor James. Because the Lord wants to encounter you. The Lord wants to touch you. But let me just give you a, a, a brief story or two to build your faith. I was about 20 years old, I think, maybe 19. And it was my first trip home or one of my first trips home for Thanksgiving from Eagle's Wings when I was there. I had finished my internship, my nine-month internship. I was almost done my one year. They called it AMP, Advanced Ministry Program. And I was home at my church, and I found out that this man named Ron Wilkinson in my church, who had been so kind to me growing up, 
He was so kind to me. He always had like a little piece of candy, you know, in his pocket for me. He was always kind to me, always greeted me. He had fought in World War II. He was a British man who now lived in America. And I found out that this man had cancer. And not just cancer, like that could be operated on or that there was still hope. Stage four cancer throughout his body. No hope. The doctors gave him no hope. They said, you have two weeks to live. Two weeks to live. And so I was broken. I was gutted. I just thought, God, this is terrible. This man served you his whole life. He served you faithfully. And now this is how he's going to go out? This is how he's going to die? I just was absolutely offended at this sickness and this disease. And so I'm sitting there in the service, and my pastor, Pastor John, calls on me, and he says, you know, Benjamin is home from Eagle's Wings. We're so proud of him. And, you know, all of you know about Ron Wilkinson. You know the diagnosis that he's received. Today we're going to anoint him with oil in the presence of the elders. And Benjamin is going to pray for him and anoint him. And he's going to be healed. Now, I had not at this point seen healing manifest through my life. I've moved in the prophetic since I was a tiny little kid. Had no idea even what was happening to me. And I would know things and see things and all of that. So the prophetic has been a real anointing on my life. But up to that point, I had not moved in healing. And so I, I really didn't have a whole lot of faith. I didn't have a whole lot of experience. I didn't have a whole lot of maturity. I didn't have a whole lot of anything. I was 19 years old, you know, barely just in ministry, learning, growing still, being discipled still. And so I came up. I took the oil, trying not to cry. In the brokenness of my heart, I anointed him with oil, and I said, be healed in the name of Jesus. And we prayed, the congregation agreed, and that was it. It wasn't this big, long, drawn-out thing. So two weeks later, I had been back at Eagle's Wings. I was sitting in my room in the, in the discipleship house there with all the other guys around, and my cell phone rings, and it's my mom. And I knew that, that this call would come. I was expecting this call to come. See, I wasn't even expecting Ron to survive. I was expecting her to say, come home because you really care about this guy. Come home for his funeral. He's passed away. So I sort of braced myself and I picked up the phone and my mom says, Benjamin, I want to talk to you about Ron Wilkinson. And I said, yeah, I, I know. And she said, he went back to the doctor after we prayed for him, after you anointed him with oil, and there is not a trace of cancer in his body. Not even one trace of cancer in his body. One more story to build your faith because you can do it too. Do you believe that? Put, your, put up your hand and say, it's me. It's me. It's you who can move in the supernatural. It's you who can move in healing. It's you who can move in signs and wonders and miracles. It is not a select celebrity few people with a microphone shouting from a stage. It's you. It's you. You can do it. I was in Indiana, and we were praying for healing. I was a little bit more mature at this time. I'd seen God do some amazing things by this time. But this woman came up for healing, and her eye, her one eye was normal. Her other eye was just, it would go over here, and then it would go over here. It would go up and down. She had no control over it. She couldn't control it. And I said, is this why you're coming for prayer? And she actually said, no, my elbow hurts. I want you to pray for my elbow. <laughs> I thought, your elbow looks fine. Like... What's wrong with your elbow, girl? Like, your eye needs healing. But the thing, the thing was, she had lost hope. So many people had told her that it was because of her sin that she was afflicted. I don't even know what it was that they were trying to hold over her head. 
probably they were the ones with sin in their lives. Most, time, most times when somebody accuses you of something, they're hiding the same thing that they're accusing you of. That's a whole other subject. But she believed that it was because of her sin. So she wasn't even asking about prayer for her eye. And I said to her, I'll pray for your elbow, but what about your eye? And she said, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't think that can, that can happen. I said, well, are you willing for me to just try? And she said, sure, you know, why not? I'd like it to be healed, why not? So Margaret, Margaret Bergeson, one of my friends and I, a much older lady than me, mature in the Lord, seen so many things. We, we laid our hands on her. And I will never forget the moment, commanding that eye to come into focus. And that thing which was going all around went from over here and went right into the middle of her eye. And she could see, she started weeping and fell down, weeping in the presence of God. She was completely healed, completely made whole. God is a healer. It's not for yesterday. It's not for yesterday. It's not what Princeton University told us, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased with the death of the early apostles. That is absolutely unbiblical, untrue, holds no water, theologically, doctrinally, historically, anything. Jesus Christ is alive today. Jesus Christ heals today. Jesus Christ delivers today. And you can walk in the Spirit today. You can be conscious of Him. You can be moving with Him. And you can manifest Him in a powerful way in your life. If you are wanting a fresh touch from Holy Spirit, I have no faith in the arm of the flesh, but I have all faith in the Spirit of God that is here today that wants to touch you and encounter you. I want to invite you to this altar here as we close this service for a fresh touch from Holy Spirit, for a fresh wind, a fresh pneuma, a fresh infilling, fresh fire, everything that you need. I believe people are going to get healed today in the anointing and in the glory, not because somebody laid hands on them, but because the glory of the Lord encountered them as we lifted Him up. All the hungry get filled. All the thirsty drink. And I believe I'm looking at a hungry and a thirsty people, a desperate people for the Lord. I love being with you. This has been refreshing to my soul just like it's been to yours. And I believe that God has one more drink for us today. So just lift up your hands, look to the Lord, and let's begin to worship. The glory of the Lord is revealed as we worship. The glory of the Lord is poured out as we worship. And I'm trusting Him for impartations, healings, mantles to fall on you, fresh infilling. So expect for the glory of the Lord to touch you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Let's begin to worship. Spirit sound, rushing wind, fire of God, fall within, Holy Ghost, breathe on us. As we repent and turn from sin, revival embers smolder in, breath of God, fan us into flame. We need a fresh wind, the fragrance of heaven, pour your spirit out, pour your spirit
hear the Lord saying right now that he is coming to break the power of hope deferred mm. off of many of your lives. Hallelujah. The Bible says that hope deferred makes a heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I break the back, I break the power of hope deferred off of these lives now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, hope arise again. Faith arise again. Strength arise again. Let the wind of God come up under your wings and catch you up in the spirit like the wings of an eagle soaring on the air. The second thing I heard Holy Spirit say was that he's coming to break the power of disappointment. Many of you have been disappointed. People have disappointed you. Offense has come in. Pain has come in. Trauma has come in. And the Lord says, today I'm pulling it out by the roots right now in the anointing of the Lord. It's a sovereign thing. He's pulling it out by the roots now. I speak to that disappointment and I say, go now in Jesus' name. Disappointment be broken now in Jesus' name. And then the third thing that I want to say is I saw where trauma had caught some of you. You feel like you've been caught in a box, like you can't move to the right or to the left. You're kind of maintaining, you know, but there's no advancing. You feel like you've hit that glass ceiling. And I said, God, God, what is the root of it? He said, it's trauma. So right now, God, right now in the Holy Spirit, come on, just go a little bit deeper. Ask, ask Holy Spirit to just go a little bit deeper. He wants to minister to that place of pain today. He wants to minister to that place of trauma today. Maybe words that were spoken over you. Maybe something that was done to you. Some of you, I even see that you were in car accidents and it put fear in you. As that impact hit you, it put fear in you. The Lord is healing today. I see the angels of the Lord here and I see the Spirit of the Lord sweeping like waves, wind waves over this place from the right to the left and the left to the right. God is pulling it out today. And I speak to that glass ceiling and that glass box that the enemy is trying to put some of you in and I say be shattered and broken in the name of Jesus I loose the breaker anointing Micah 3 14 that the breaker goes before them and breaks open the way they go out they pass out for the breaker goes before them the king at their head and I say the king is breaking every box now in the name of Jesus the king is shattering every confinement the king is shattering every harness of the enemy Every yoke of the enemy, the anointing of the Lord breaks every yoke now, today, in Jesus' name. And I thank you for a greater freedom, God, right now. No yoke of the enemy can remain on your people. No glass box can remain around your people. No glass ceiling. I say we're ascending higher today in the Lord. Where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. 
Where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. And I declare the liberty and the freedom of the Lord over your lives. You're going to walk out of this place and notice that you are different. Notice that you are changed because the Spirit of the Lord has uprooted it today. And it cannot confine you anymore. Trauma, disappointment, hope deferred cannot confine you anymore. It's a new day. It's a new season. And I prophesy to this church, your best days are not behind you. Your best days are not in your past. Your best days are before you. For the glory of the Lord goes before you, and the glory of the Lord is in your midst, and the glory of the Lord is forming a new path even now. It is a new season, says the Lord. Enter with me into the new season. Do not build a monument to the past, but get in the flow of my movement of what I'm doing now, and what I'm saying now, and where I'm leading you now. A new day. Lift your hands. Lift your hands. It's a new day. It's a new day. Holy Spirit, thank you. Like waves, like waves. Let's just sing that again. We need a fresh wind. When you started singing that, I literally saw the moving in the Spirit all over this place. On your lives, in your families, in some of you, your loved ones that aren't here, your spouses that aren't here, you've been praying for them, you've been crying out for them, you've been crying out for prodigals, some of you have been crying out for healing. As we sing this again, and the wind of God begins to move all over this place, the Lord is going to blow it out. Blow out that sickness. Blow out that weakness. Blow into your home. Blow into your family. Blow into your prodigal's room right now, wherever they might be. We need a fresh wind. We need a fresh wind. Spirit of God. Spirit of burning. Fire of God. Fire of Holy Spirit. We need a fresh wind. The fragrance of heaven. Pour your
is moving in a powerful way all over this room. And I believe there are many of you that need to linger at this altar. I'm not in charge of this church. I'm in, I'm in full submission to Pastor Jim. And so he's going to do what he feels from Holy Spirit, and I trust him to do that. But I feel there are several of you that need to linger at this altar, that need to linger. Some of you, you can be released. You can go. But I want us to make this declaration before we leave. I want you to say this with me. Say, God, I am conscious of you. God, I am moving with you. I will not be stagnant in any area of my life. I speak to the living waters that are inside of me, and I say rivers of living water flow, flow in Jesus' name. I will be a son of God a child of promise that manifests the kingdom of God everywhere I go every place I place my foot there is breakthrough there is freedom there is healing miracles signs wonders the glory of the Lord in Jesus' name. It's a new season. I am moving on with God, and I praise His glorious name in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Benjamin, just before you step off, could we just, uh, as a church family, could we just extend hands of faith and God, we thank you uh, for this gift, for this man of God. We thank you for uh, what you have done through your servants here this weekend. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would pour out upon him, that you would refresh, that you would fill him to overflow. We pray a fresh grace and blessing on his family, on his marriage. Lord, a, a fresh favor uh, on his ministry with all the doors and connections that you desire. Lord, we pray grace uh, in, in all the go forward in what you have purposed for him and his wife in this ministry. God, we pray in the, uh, the realm of finance, God, that every need would be met, that he would experience the God of abundance in every area where need is, every material area, God. And we pray your covering and your protection on him, on his family, and all of his coming and going, Lord. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.